we're actually going to go back to Revelation. We're going to start in Revelation to bridge into the Psalms, okay? So if you'll recall, we were uh, in Genesis, and, and we did the first 11 chapters. We're, we're in Psalms, learning how to live lives of worship, and then we're going to go back to Genesis uh, for, for about eight weeks uh, whenever we return there in September. But our, our opening scripture this morning was about the throne in heaven in Revelation 4. And to kind of set the context, bless you. And then to set the context for all the Psalms that we're about to read here in just a second, we're going to go from four to five now. Because the Psalms today, are we're, we're just looking at enthronement Psalms. So last week we looked at wisdom Psalms, and we picked about four to five. <clears throat> Excuse me. We picked about four to five. We're going to do enthronement Psalms, and I'll explain what those are. Next week, we're going to do those Psalms that, that really help us whenever we're in despair. You know, there is a way that we as Christians can pray whenever we're in despair, when things are, are not going as we want them to, whenever we feel like evil is being done against us, or whenever things don't seem to measure up. Um, Psalms of despair is not quite the, the technical term, but it's one that we understand. It's why... Why David says, oh Lord, my enemies surround me and, and slander my name, and it's not true. You know, it tells us how we can pray, and, uh, and there's moments in those where we go, whoa, okay, didn't know you could pray that, um, because they're, they're just pretty shocking. Um, but Psalms of despair, they teach us how to suffer, y'all. It's not that we won't suffer as Christians, it's we pray that we suffer well. And so they're going to help us with that. And then after that, Psalms of comfort. And then we will move right back into Genesis. So today, if it's Psalms of Enthronement, that means uh, that we're really talking about the enthronement or the kingship of God. But, but let's just get some context. So I'm going to pick back up in, in chapter 4, which was our opening reading this morning that, that Jared uh, did for us. We're going to start in verse 8. So chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 5, and then we're going to go to Psalms. Okay, so because I want you to understand that whenever we talk about God being king, this is what we mean. Like, it's incredible, okay? This is not like a king that we look at on the news and we see this dignitary walking through the streets or in front of a castle. No, this is a, this is a throne that, that if we were to look out there, and I told you to imagine a glorious throne right out here, and you pictured it, and that I said, okay, now put God on that throne, and you begin to wrap your head around it in the middle of that field, I'm going to say, okay, now make that bigger, okay? And so you make that throne bigger. And I'm like, okay, you got it. You've wrapped your head around that throne. It's much bigger, but it's not big enough. You need to make it bigger, and then bigger, and then bigger, and then bigger. And like the throne of God is so much more massively majestic and grand than anything that we can imagine. Whatever it is that we begin to stretch and search for in our imagination, it's bigger. I mean, if we say he holds the whole world in his hands, like that gives us this great idea of comfort that everything's in his control. But this is a God who breathes out stars that swallow our sun. This is a God who holds the entire universe. Like this is a massive throne. It is glorious beyond all imagination. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. And the four living creatures, it says in Revelation 4, 8, y'all hear, here is the throne of God that we're about to see, and it's incredible. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, I'm sorry, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. It says, and I began to weep loudly, excuse me, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne, y'all get it, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. That's the throne we're talking about today. Okay, that's a kingship that we have not seen with our eyes but we will, okay? Y'all turn to Psalm 2. I'm just going to encourage you, whenever life seems overwhelming and you don't know where to go, I always go back and I read Revelation 4 and 5. It just brings such great comfort, puts everything else in perspective. Okay, so we're going to be in Psalm. We're doing this Psalm series, just getting a sampling. And as a reminder... Last week we did Psalms of Wisdom, and, and this week Psalms of Enthronement. Just really looking at that, that throne. We looked at how John MacArthur, um, he defined it for us last week. Just I want to share to kind of put things back in context. He said the, the entire collection of Psalms is entitled Praises in the Hebrew text. So as we read these, these are actual praises. So they're poems, they're songs, but they're praises. They teach us how to praise. It's in the Greek translation that we get the word Psalms. And Psalms um, is associated with the plucking or twanging of strings. And that's, so that's how we have uh, affixed them to some sort of music. But then he goes on, and here's where I think it's helpful for us. The Psalms constituted Israel's ancient God-breathed hymn book, which defined proper spirit and content of worship. 
So if we want to live lives of worship, if we see that this is just a time of worship amongst a gathering of believers, but that as we leave this place, we should be living lives of worship, then the Psalms help us every single day to understand how it is we should should speak and think in our soul, uh, what we should say with our lips, how we should be be sanctified in the truth of what they teach. We're, this is the hymn book of ancient Israel that God breathed, that men penned, and God sustained for us. We should look at them. I told you last week the reason I like them is it's the most human book I personally can find in the Bible. In it, there's joy and despair. There's comfort. There's humility. There's just an all-around human experience where as I'm trying to figure out how it is I'm supposed to speak and think of my God, they always just keep bringing me back. You'll find, too, that the Psalms have a way of sticking with you. Um, they, they, they get caught in your brain. It's uh, Chas and I were, were driving uh, one time, and I put it on a country music, uh, like on Pandora, and it was like, but I chose 90s country because I don't understand country now, but 90s country makes sense to me. And as the songs were coming on, we find like we're just sitting there singing them. Like we, we know them. We haven't listened to them and, you know, like regularly and probably, oh my goodness, two decades. Okay, so it's been a long time, but we know these songs, and the psalms are, are written in that way too. They're poetic. They find a way of, uh, of rooting themselves in you. So they tell us how we should praise and how we should worship in our hearts and minds. Y'all listen to Hebrews 4.12 um, before we, we move much further, because this kind of defines a lot of the content. Um, I think it's successful. If we just read Scripture and I add absolutely nothing to it, and we leave this place, success. Because the Word of God is going to go out and do what it's supposed to do. It's going to, it's going to harden hearts. It's going to soften hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says that it's living and active, the Word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't have to try and cleave into your heart with any wisdom I have. The Word does it itself. My role and the roles of elders and teachers and our men's and women's discipleship groups is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry by keep feeding the Word over and over and over again. Okay, so my prayer for you today is that we are made more complete. We are sanctified more by what we see. Okay, so here's why the enthronement psalms are going to be so important to us. You are probably tempted, like I am, to establish your own kingdom. And you're thinking, no, I'm not. I, I don't want to establish my own kingdom, but we do. We are tempted to establish our own kingdoms in which we are the central king or queen of our family. Or in our sphere of influence, we're, we're right there. We determine uh, what we do with our wealth and our riches and our possessions. We sit there and we think about, okay, what is, we, we either find our meaning in it or we find our our meaning and how we give it away, but they, they centralize around us. Our homes are what we've worked for and what we want to sustain. Our family makes us joyful and like, I'm the king at my house, basically. You walk into my house and, and Chas is, is absolutely there as a parent, but whenever I walk in, I'm usually thinking in my most naturalistic, sinful way, this is my house, this is my family. We become kings and queens of our own kingdoms which we've established. And if we're not careful, church, 
This is why you need a plurality of elders to hold one another accountable. But if we're not careful, we do that with our churches as well, in which the pastor becomes the king of his little kingdom right here. Y'all, we are only part and parcel of the whole kingdom of God in every church expressed throughout the world. So we've got to be very mindful of that. But we are tempted that, that we get to be the kings and queens of our own world. No wonder you and I are so exhausted. Y'all, we are trying to sustain a kingdom that's not ours. Like, you ever see those movies, and there's like a king that, that everybody loves, and then there's this other servant over here who desires to have the throne. And so throughout the movie, you're watching the tension as the king is there doing what is right, and then you see the, the evil in this servant, and they're trying to rise up and usurp the throne because that's where they want to be. They desire that. The sin within us creates in us a desire to usurp the throne of the king. Whether we want to admit it or not, there's that desire. Why do we sin? Because we want to sin. Why do we, we rise up and begin to define the kingdom as we want it to be? Because in our pride, we think that that's how it should be because this serves me, right? God, God put me here. He wants us to be all about me. We're just servants. We're just stewards, right? So that's what these Psalms are about today. They are to remind me and to remind you that, that we are not the king of all and we were never meant to be. That's pretty freeing. You don't have to establish your name. You don't have to amass uh, a great wealth. You don't have to have a great legacy because all of those things pass away. All we are accountable for that we carry with us is our obedience to the God who is above all. And so these just help us to remember that he's God, we're not. Simple. Um, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It's a great commentary series that, that if you ask me, I'm going to recommend it. it. says this, These Psalms help the Christian reader confess the Lord's universal kingship by enjoying, listen to this, enjoying the benefits by virtue of his union with Jesus Christ and by looking forward to full revelation of his kingdom at the consummation of the ages. So these just lift our eyes away from our Let's get truth, let's get real, our tiny kingdom. Like, I think whenever we look to God's kingdom and look at his throne, we begin to realize that our kingdom is actually very, very small. Okay, so they remind us of that. But I just want to, I emphasize that enjoying the benefits of our union with him because sometimes we get so caught up in our depravity and our weakness and our sinfulness and we preach this from the pulpit, which by the way is biblical and good. We should be humbly reminded that, that all we have is Christ. But because all we have is Christ, we get the full benefits of Christ. Like we are co-heirs with him. I have a, I have a marker board and the, I was just, I was blown away by Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is honors and riches and life. And I'm like, it's biblical. Like, it's cool. You honor the Lord, you fear him, you worship him, he blesses you. It's okay to see and love the blessings of the Lord. I wish right now, I'm not going to lie, I wish you would bless us with the air conditioner. I keep turning it down. It's not working. New problem for tomorrow at school, okay? So y'all just sweat with me through the Psalms. Okay, here we go. Psalm 2. Here is an enthronement psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And anointed is capitalized. Against the Lord and his anointed, saying, 
Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I love verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. I'm sorry. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, so let's just take that one as a sample. Do you hear the, the enthronement or the, the kingship of God here? We're going to keep trying to get it cooler. Like, and so, so just kind of walking through this, do you, do you hear that enthronement, that kingship? Okay, so what does it tell us if this is to guide our proper worship? Like a few things. Look at this. Number one, the nations of the world want to be the kings. They don't like that God is the king. They, it says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Like, look at our world, and we are a world that, that does not collectively holy, that is not collectively holy, honor the Lord. And we look around, we're like, what's going, I mean, all the authorities, all the kings, they're just, they don't, they're, they're persecuting Christians, they don't love the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That's what the psalmist says. This is all pointless. Why do they rage? You and I look at our world as Christians, and we need to remember what Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that anyone who's read the Bible should not be surprised at where we are right now. Okay, This this is foreordained from the beginning. It tells us in Scripture clearly that this is where we should be. It says that the kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, who we know now fully is Jesus Christ. And they say, let us burst their bonds apart, cast their cords. They don't love God. They don't want the things of God. In their pride, they believe that they can actually overtake and overthrow God. They can live as a rule unto themselves. They can be king. And I love point two. Look at verse four. It's one of my favorite verses throughout all of Scripture. The king is not worried. It says, he who sits on the throne, God, he laughs. Like he watches all the nations. Like you and I, we're just like... Lord, I mean, what's going on? And we see our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout all the world. We see governments rising up. And we wonder in, in worry and anxiety, what in the world is going to happen? And God's just in the heavens and he's laughing. Like, it's hilarious to him. I remember, not now because my kids are older, but I remember whenever I had no fear of fighting with them, right? Because I was dad and they were, they were toddlers. And so here is, here's father and here comes this small toddler, and, and Jackson comes up, and he can just well on me, and I'm dad, and it doesn't hurt. Like, I laugh. We have a rule now, don't hurt dad. Like, that's one of the main rules. They've grown up. That's an imperfect illustration, though, of what we're talking about here. Like, there are kings in the earth who, at best, are going to be like, Six foot, six to seven foot tall at best, because that's like the human capacity that we see. At best, that's who they are. And he sits on a throne in heaven and he foreordains everything from the beginning to the end. Just like we sang before time, you were there. Like this is an infinitely majestic, wonderfully massive God. 
And they're sitting there saying, oh, we can overthrow him. And God sits in the heavens and laughs. Like verse 4 is one of my favorite. So the, the nations don't want him as king. The king doesn't care if they want him as king because the king's going to do whatever he wants to do, especially whenever he is our God and king. So we can't even tell the wind where to blow. We can divert floodwaters, but we can't fully prevent the flood. Like whenever God says, move lightning strikes and wind blows, we can't even stop that. And we're trying to tell the God who created those things that we can overcome him and we don't need him. He doesn't care. He laughs. You and I, we despair and worry. And he says, cast all your cares on me because all of our fears and worries are in his hands. He doesn't have the concerns we do. Point three we see here, the king, God, has authority over all things. Look at this. I will tell of the decree the psalmist writes. And here's what he's been told. Here's the decree that the psalmist heard. The Lord said to me, which would actually be the anointed that it referred to earlier. So the Lord said to me, and we know fully Jesus, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I, like I, God the Father, will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Like here's the decree. Y'all, I love that language. Today I've begotten you. It makes us think of John 3.16, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Like here's that son told, prophesied about in the Psalms way before Jesus ever stepped into this world. Okay, y'all with me so far? Okay, so we're going to go a little bit further. So here's the wonder of this kind of king that we have in God. The one begotten son, God has everything in his control. And he says, Jesus, you want anything in all the world, any nation, any possession, it's all absolutely yours. Like, I can pass on many things to my kids that are mine, but I can't pass on anything that's not mine. One day, this Bible, uh, Anna and I were just talking about Bibles earlier. In it are all my notes and scribblings, and, and you can see where my thumb, ha- my thumb has worn it very thin, but this is mine. And one day, I'm hoping to pass it on to my kids. And another Bible that I fill up, I'm hoping to pass on to my kids so that they can know the long beyond me. But here's, what, here's how dad wrestled with Scripture. Here's what, here's what God was doing through Scripture in dad's life. Like, that's mine. I have a watch that I wear that my grandfather, um, that was passed on from my grandfather, but it was his. You know why God the Father can give all the nations and all of creation as a possession to Jesus? Because they're all his. So everything that you and I have, a proper understanding, is that it's his. This is my family with whom I've been greatly blessed. I said last night, y'all are four of my favorite people, to which Kinley said, you need to say five. And I was like looking at Chas because I thought I didn't know something. And I was like, what are, what are you talking about, Kinley? She goes, God. I was like, well, I'm in, in this earth. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, I'm four. Y'all listen to this. Psalm 24, 1, 2, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Dads, moms, we're not the kings of of our kingdoms in our house. We're just stewards. He's entrusted us with their lives. 
He's entrusted us with our house, with our riches, with our wealth, with our influence, like everything in our lives properly, biblically understood is because God said, I'm going to bless you in this way. What will we do with that? We are not kings and queens. We're just humbly serving the Lord. It begins to change. Now, some of you are going to the royalty thought of, oh, no, don't forget, co-heirs with Christ. He's the king, co-heir. I get to be the king. Humility says we, we really know what that means, right? We are, this is, a, this is a daughter of royalty right here, and it will dictate how I treat my wife and how I think of her and how I speak to her. So sons and daughters of royalty, but it doesn't mean we get to take the throne away from the one who has blessed us with all things. Okay, now number four, verse four, just showing you how these enthronement psalms work. So the nations don't want his kingship. God doesn't care if they want it or not. He laughs at them. And then, um, then where were we? I'm sorry. The, uh, he has authority over all things. And now this, the nations can respond in only one way. There's only one way, church, that you and I can properly respond to the throne of God. And it is this, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. And that phrase, kiss the sun, is kind of odd to me. And that's where I love Matthew Henry. Look at this. Hold your place there. Go to Luke chapter 7. And, uh, and this is where I was like, oh, kiss the sun. Like, kiss the sun. It makes so much sense now. Luke chapter 7. I hope. If not, we'll fix it. Luke. Chapter 7, verse 36 is where we're going to start. So as I was studying this passage, Matthew Henry just had the best illustration because he said, hey, look at this picture what we see in Scripture. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 38. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now she, she kissed the son. She kissed the feet of the one that she revered as the most holy son of God. That's what it means to kiss the sun, is to have such great affection and endearment that we draw close and realize like, that there is only one person, only one thing that deserves our full, great, humble affection and adoration, and that is Jesus. And that's what she saw. So, so I, I see that kiss the sun. So I'm going to go back now to Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear. What must you and I do? Serve the Lord with fear. Serve. Like That's what we try to do uh, as believers, as we keep serving the Lord, wherever it is he calls us to go, we go. Whatever it is he calls us to do, we do. We don't have to be equipped. He equips us. We just have to be obedient. And we say, you're the king. I don't get it, but you're the king. I'll go. And how many times have you stepped out in faith knowing you're absolutely ill-equipped to go in that direction or to do that thing? And yet whenever you begin to do it, you feel that God is around you and he's leading you along the way. So serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and kiss the sun. Like pour all of your full affection on him. Why? Because here's the king, the matchless one beyond all glory. And he came and he died on a cross and he spilled his blood 
and we are here, how dare we say, I don't have time or I don't see you as king. I'm going to rage against you because I don't like your plans for me. How dare we? Kiss the son. Great, deep affection for who he is. And then, look at this. There is great reward for submitting to God's rule. Great reward for submitting to God's rule. Here it is. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Like right, so, so pulling all this together, here's one astounding truth. If there are no eternal, endless kingdoms in your home or in this world, if in this world all reigns come to an end, and so you are caught up into the salvation of the Lord and serving him with deep affection to the Son, and if everything is God's, then how blessed, how happy we will be when we rest in him. If all things are his, then we really can cast all anxieties on him and know that the happiness and the blessedness is possible because all of creation is under his rule. That's why no charge can come against God's elect. That's why every anxiety can be cast on him because everything literally is within his control. Psalm 34. I'm sorry, Psalm 24. We're going to just keep on rolling. Like, we're just going to keep on moving through these. They all have a similar rhythm. But this is what you and I need. A reorientation from looking at everything around us and what we think is under our purview and just look to the king, honor him, kiss the son, and all of this will take care of itself. It's whenever we begin to look at all these other things that we become distracted from his throne. So that's kind of the idea of these psalms. Keep looking at the one enthroned. Psalm 24 says... The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him and who seek the face of God of Jacob. So lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Do you hear that enthronement, that kingship there? How then does that begin to shape how we live and breathe in this world? Number or Verses 1 and 2, all things that exist, exist for God and all of it's His. The earth and its fullness are His. Let that quickly sink in. What is it you treasure? It's His. It's not yours. You treasure it. Advise for your affection, and it's not even yours. It's his that gives great comfort. Okay, I'm going to keep moving quickly because of, because of time, and I, I think you see this, but, but just to kind of echo, keep going, there, there's a certain type of citizen for God's kingdom. And we kind of looked at that last week in the Wisdom Psalms, but it tells us, you say that you're a believer, that you're, in the, that you're a citizen in God's kingdom, it looks a certain way. Here we go. We can check this off. He who has clean hands... And a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. To dwell in the kingdom of God means that we are radically different than the rest of this world. We have clean hands. We have a pure heart. And we have integrity. 
So y'all strive for those things. And when you fail, because we will, praise God that he's granted us repentance. And here's the reward of being a citizen in his kingdom. Verse 5, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I mean, is that, is that not just awesome? Like, whenever I just said, when you fell, praise God for the blessing of his repentance, and I heard like around the room, uh-huh, praise the Lord, because we know who we are. Like, you and I know that we're trying someday so hard, and then we turn around and we find that we failed. And whenever we've done great, then we realize that we've only done well and we're proud. And so then we realize that we've got to repent of that too. Like we're in this, this cycle. But you and I, who live as citizens of God's kingdom, we will receive blessing from the Lord. You don't have to feel guilty for that. He blesses those who love him. And it says that we have righteousness from God of his salvation. I just think it's cool that the God who breathes stars and speaks nothing into something, he says, I will bless you if you love me. That's just comforting. The king says, you're mine. Go on. Verse 7 through 10. You know, like This should be our response. In light of all of that, this should be our response. Do you see the exclamation points throughout these passages? Do you know what exclamation points do? I taught grammar for about 11 years. Exclamation points mean you exclaim something like, so it's not, lift up your heads, O you gates, um, that the king of heaven may come in. No, it's, it's exclaiming. Like, have you ever been to a concert and the band that you've been waiting for comes on stage? There is this applause. Like, there is this, this, this humongous spirit that rises up within people and they begin to exclaim loudly because everybody has been waiting for this one moment to see this band and that's going to end in like two hours. Or you've been able to like see someone that you're really excited, like it's a star. I remember whenever I was in like seventh or eighth grade, there, there was a show on, um, came on Friday night, so it was called Step by Step. I've never told you this part of my life, I just realized. Okay, it was called Step by Step. And then there was the uncle. Well, he came to Central Mall down here and you could get an autograph. And I remember standing for hours and hours and hours just to get an autograph because I thought it would be so amazing. Like, we do that with heroes or, like, heroes, kings, authorities in this world. And then we get to thinking about God and we're like, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Cool, I'm going to underline that. Who is the king of glory? Oh, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong and mighty in battle. No, he's the Lord strong and mighty in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. Like, this is the king of glory. Like, why are we not more excited about that? Because we're Southern Baptist, right? Y'all, there is an excitement that should be like generating and cold up, not when music is playing, but when we think about our God. And if it doesn't, and pray that he will do that within us. But when there's an exclamation point, you should be excited. Like, that's the point. Our response is to be overwhelmingly excited and joyful just thinking about who our God is. He is the king of glory, and he's about to come in. And so this person, this psalmist is saying, like, everybody, get your heads up. Open the gates. The king of glory is about to come in. He's mighty in battle. He is the ancient one. Ancient of days, before time, he was there. This is our God. And we're like, underline that one, good verse. No, 
our response should be just joyful adoration of this God. Y'all, and I'm right there with you. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting there, like, in my quiet time drinking my coffee going, woo okay, I'm not doing that. But it should be our response. If in our hearts he really is enthroned as most high, if he really does sparkle in unimaginable delight of carnelian and jasper, if there really is that sort of beauty that we affix upon him, if he really is glorious and majestic, if all these things are absolutely true, then our hearts should be swelling more and more. Problem is, the reason I don't tend to worship that way is I'm too busy. You're going to hear me say this over I'm too busy being distracted by the kingdom that I believe I've cons- that, that belongs to me. I've got things to do. I've got to make sure I do this. I've got to make sure this is completed. His throne, not mine. Psalm 96. I'm not going to do it verse by verse. I just want you to hear um, some more excitement in the Psalms about this big God. I'm not going to do a full breakdown. I'm just going to read it, and we're going to, we're going to keep on moving. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, that world is established. It shall never be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and, the, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Do you hear the enthronement and the kingship of God? It's all his. And you know what? All of creation knows it. There's a reason that humans don't. And it's a sin within us. But all of creation knows of his glory and might. That's why Jesus said that even if you don't worship, the rocks will cry out. You could also read Psalm 99. We're going to start winding down here. I want to break one more apart for you. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You, God, you have established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies in the statute that he gave them. 
O Lord our God, you answered them. You were forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Do you hear the enthronement and the kingship of God? How does that drive us to live lives of proper worship? It's this, the Lord reigns. Like he reigns. He's either sovereign or he's not. Like he gets to be the Lord of all or everything else in your side is going to be the Lord of you. But he's Lord of everything. If he's Lord of everything, that changes everything about how I should live in this world. It changes how I deal with my contentment. It deals with how I deal with my, I'm sorry, changes how I deal with my pride, changes how I deal with my worship, it changes how I deal with my time. He either reigns or he doesn't. And scripture, unapologetically, beginning to end, he reigns. That should comfort you. He reigns and you don't, and you don't have to. You weren't meant to. No wonder you're so tired. You're trying to hold everything together and it's not yours. It's his. So the Lord reigns. He sits enthroned upon cherubim. You sit on a bench that was once a table that will turn back into a table after you're done. That's where you sit. Because he sits on cherubim, then let the earth quake. He's great in Zion. We've been welcomed in. He's exalted over all the peoples. The response is, let us tremble. Y'all, like just, just, this would be kind of hard, but I want us to kind of get there. This is reminding us. uh, Whenever I see this, I'm reminded. I tend to focus a lot on the attributes of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, like the attributes, what he shows us in Scripture that we can understand, right? The attributes are good, but what if we looked beyond the attributes for a moment and look at his existence? That's what this is telling us. The attributes are what we know of God, but there's still a God who exists out there magnificently large. He sits on a throne we cannot even imagine. And this is just reminding us that he sits in heavens. He speaks and the world was. Okay, you and I, this is where we are in here. See Moses, see Samuel. Know that as God's people, you and I will desire to do well. That's our desire. If it's not, then what's wrong with us? Okay? So we desire to do well like Moses and Aaron. God was with them. He heard them. Their desire was for him. And whenever they failed, it says that he forgave them. So when you and I, like Moses and Samuel, when we, we strive to do well, fantastic, that's our duty and obedience. And when we fail, we're in the ranks of Moses and Samuel. And God was with them and never deserted them. We fell, we seek his face, and he forgives them. But it also says that he avenged their wrongdoing. The justice of God is that he will not let us continue to live in sin and delight in something else and not fully him. So he forgave them, and I'm moving rather quickly here. So then what must in the tenor of our lives be? It tells us that here's what you and I should be doing as we leave here. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. You know why we worship? Because he's holy. You know why we're going to worship tomorrow? Because he's holy. Go back to Revelation chapter 5. Do you know why they worshiped him? Because he's holy. Like all of creation cries out because he's holy. Not because of what he does for us. Not because of what he grants us. Not because everything's wonderful. That's not why we sing. We don't sing because we have instruments up here now um, or Spotify then. 
We don't sing because we feel like it or because we don't feel like it. We don't worship through the preaching because now's the time. Like, we worship because he's holy. So we can't say, um, yes, but, no, he's holy, worship him. I don't really, no, you worship him because he's holy. Like, we don't worship because we don't really understand the holiness of God. That's what we pray for. Do you know that's an okay thing to pray? Moses says, I long to see you. Like, just show me your glory. And God's like, oh, you can't handle that one. But I'll put you in a cliff and I'll let you look at the back. Like, it's okay. Lord, show me more of you. Because I think that whenever that becomes our all-encompassing view, we become captivated by who he is and less about who we are. And you know what? A lot of this stuff will work itself out. Because as you trust in the king, the king will begin to work through you to run this that he's put around you. Here's my conclusion for you. Psalm 100, and then let's pray. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Amen. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, I pray that, that you have found great comfort in this. You're not the king. You never were meant to be. He's already enthroned and will be there forevermore. We just worship him with our lives. Let's pray. Lord, by your mere existence and sovereignty, you are worthy of all praise. Teach me to see you anew. Teach me to trust you. And teach me to live for your kingdom and not my own. Pray this on your son's holy name. Amen.